Hello and welcome to Cutting Through the Bull in the Post-Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben, and as always, I'm hanging out with Mike. Hello. Claire. Hey. And Pete. Hello. This week we're going to talk about the Ozzo One Alien Encounter. Ooh. Can we do Quite. a very quick RIP though, please? Who, who's gone? Rob, Robbie Coltrane. Oh shit, yeah. RIP to Robbie Coltrane. Because yeah. uh, what a legend. All throughout all of our lives we've all watched him on telly. Whether it was Cracker, when he was a detective... Nuns yeah, on the yeah. Run. Nuns on the Run. Brilliant Nuns film. Nuns on the Run. That's Brilliant a good film. film. Classic. That's a good film, man. Really to me, obviously, world, worldly known as Hagrid. Of course, So, yeah. R.I.P. Robbie Coltrane, such a and, shame. And R.I.P. Um, Jessica Fletcher. Yes. She um, has a Dame. Oh, what's this? Angela what? Lansbury, is it? Angela Lansbury. Yeah. 96, though. Good innings for her, you know what I mean? Is she the one in Game of Thrones? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Murder, she wrote. Murder, she wrote. Oh, right, because she died recently. Yeah, that's why uh, I'm saying Ben Nobs and Broomsticks. Oh, um, right, I'll go. She, she did okay. uh, the cup. Uh, no, not the cup, the... Two girls, one cup. <laughs> no, she really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I would watch that. I've just got the image of that in my head now. Thanks for that, mate. Angel, I'd be shit in a cup. <laughs> Who was eating it, though? Columbo. Ah, ah, give it to me. Ah. Oh, just one more thing. <laughs> With his little squinty eye. Ah. Um, That's why he had a squinty eye. I, to <laughs> ah, I got a nugget in my eye. <laughs> so, hey, shit blindness affects one in four. <laughs> now, R.I.P. Angela Lansbury and yeah. Robbie Coltrane. Right, well, yeah, in a week where I had the flu, so I sound a little bit... Gravelly. Gravelly. Although some might say it might add gravitas and sexiness to my voice. Only some. It's going to take more than that, mate. No. Well, give it a go. <laughs> yeah, so let's thank some of the listeners and we'll crack on with the show. Austin, Minnesota, South End on Sea in the UK, Newport, Richley in Florida, Varenholt in Germany, Pretoria, South Africa, sorry, South Africa, Cairo in Egypt, Swansea in the UK, <laughs> Owasso in Michigan, Houston, Texas, Spring Valley, New York, Frankfurt, I made Fort Bragg in California, that's going to be a military base. Someone, Sounds like it, doesn't I it? I think it is. Birkenhead. In the UK. Ejahiwa. Just the other side of Liverpool, in it? And that's how they do Yeah. Robertford in the UK. Richmond, Virginia. Newbury in the UK. A lot of UK this week. Yeah. Lower Hutt in New Zealand. We'll break into the top ten. Gala in Romania. Niles, Michigan. Bengaluru. Guadalajara, Spain. And Ashburn, Virginia. It's all good. Thank you very Global. much. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Cutting to the Ball in the Post Truth Apocalypse. SoundCloud and most other podcasting platforms are cutting to the ball in the PTA and YouTube at Apocalypse Ball. Tell all your friends. Tell your friends, tell a neighbour, tell a loved one. Shout it from the rooftops if you really want. Yes. Scream my name. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh shit. Well let's talk about the Ozzo One encounter. By all accounts, 41-year-old oil well driller, husband and father of four, Carl Higdon, was not a man prone to flights of fancy. Well, now he's got four kids on the fucking go, hasn't he? Can't have got time for flights of fancy with four kids running round. Yeah. As well as drilling oil wells. But on the crisp autumn afternoon of October 25th, 1974, he had a close encounter with a bizarre being who would not only test the limits of his imagination, but quite literally take him on the ride of his life. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of night. I wouldn't mind it. 
So it's, it's better than average night in Doris, but that was <laughs> too wrong. Like many Americans in the 1970s, the hard-working Carl Higdon was hit hard by the recession. As food prices crept ever higher, Higdon decided he would have to hunt in order to feed his family and stock their icebox with enough meat to get them through the harsh Wyoming winter that was just around the corner. It would be one such, during such one, one such expedition that Higdon would go from being the hunter to becoming the hunted, because Predator was there. I was going to say, it sounded like an episode of Predator, that does. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but the deer hunter would have been a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Everyone reused really that movie, you oh, know. I love it, it's a great film. Never watched it. The deer hunter. It is good, the ending's a bit very tense, I think the ending's just fantastic. Is it it's what it says on the tin? A guy that hunts deers. It's a Vietnam film. Yeah. So it's nothing to do with deers. Yeah, yeah, they do. They go deer hunting. It's a group of steel workers in Pennsylvania. They go deer yeah. hunting. Yeah, they go deer hunting together. They work together. They all, they all yeah. best mates. And Three get... of them get drafted into the, into the army. You have to go to Vietnam, have some horrific experiences, come yeah. back, and they've changed, and it's not the same anymore. Now they're hunting deers with bowie knives and. Yeah, jumping on their backs and cutting their ears off and shit. Yeah. Yeah. The burning deer villages down, <laughs> cutting their ears off. Another great Christopher Walken performance. Oh, it's Christopher. All right, you can have that one, Christopher Walken. So we watched a film one called of the Most Bloody Cardboard Actors of All. Yes, time. thank you. He's like a cardboard cutout. Nice. Who's worse, Christopher Walken or Orlando Bloom? Christopher Walken. Fuck off. Yeah. Christopher Walken. Orlando Bloom's was At least Orlando Bloom's pretty. <laughs> yeah, but Christopher Walken's got that distinctly weird look about him. Yes, but he's just so fucking boring. I'll, you, I'll, I'll give you Batman Returns and The Deer Hunter. He was good in Batman Returns because he played a really good... Well, he plays a really good nutter, doesn't he? That, that's about it. Yeah, True Romance. Play, that's his, probably his best role, I'd say. Okay, three. I did say five. <laughs> McBain? No. <laughs> no, it's terrible. I'm not saying I don't like him. I think he's. We watched. I like his some of his films, but I do think he's. He's like a bloody wooden statue. He really is. He's we watched his film McBain, one of Christopher Walken's lesser-known movies. Or it could be one of his better-known. I've no idea. Is that a war film? Kind, kind of. of. Right. Basically, McBain and this other dude get captured. They break out. They run away. They go back to the US. He's like, if you ever need any problems, aren't they? Yeah, you ever need any problems, Colvin? You know, give me, a, give me a call. And he's just some construction work. It <laughs> was some recruits. Welding a bridge. Welding a bridge. He was some recruits. A team of mercenaries, and everyone seems to love him, even though his only war experience was getting captured in Vietnam. Bobby <laughs> McBain. Bobby McBain. Anyway, back to this. <laughs> we want to be a walk. We want to be a walking. The verbal walk and the the day began like any other. Higdon awoke and was getting ready for his second shift workday at the AM Wells Service Company in Riverton when his telephone rang. After working his way through the company for the better part of 20 years, Higdon was at a foreman and therefore it fell to him to take sick calls from the crew. He described the situation, this is a quote, I was all set to leave for work when one of my key men phoned to tell me that he was sick. Key men. Realising that nothing could be accomplished with him at home, I decided to take the day off. Cool. So need two men on this oil dwell, I presume. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> well, he's a foreman now, so, yeah. you know. If he's got no team to four. 
That's it. <laughs> Having committed to not going into work, and let's face it, we've all been there. Yeah. yeah I've, I've committed to I've not co- going to work. I've woke a few up at times. six AM before now and committed to not going to work. No one's been as committed as me. <laughs> 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 That's very true. You know what? If there was an Olympic event. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put Lion Down event on. <laughs> oh yeah, we got the gold medalist right here. Oh yeah. Oh, Aiden decides to utilise his unexpectedly free afternoon by using it to hunt for elk. With his plan in place, the old man packed his gear into his company pickup and began heading towards McCarthy Canyon in nearby Carbon County. It was then that a random act of kindness would forever change his destiny. While cruising towards McCarthy Canyon, Higdon spied a pair of stranded motorists working on their immobile van. He pulled over and helped them repair their vehicle and during the course of the conversation, the duo revealed they were also hunters and they over a place where there was much more game than Higdon's current destination. He recounted the encounter. I pulled in front of them and helped them. During our chat, they told me that the hunting was much better farther back in a remote section of the Medicine Bow National Forest. So he thanked him, when without delay, changed his course and began driving towards the northern region of Medicine Bow National Park, which is located just 40 miles south of his home in Rawlings. Higdon arrived at the park in the late afternoon, and once he was there, he bumped into an old friend. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. An old friend, Gary Eaton, uh, had walked over to where he'd stopped and together they surveyed the area. Gary. After a few minutes, Gary told me that he was going on higher up the forest. Jokingly, he suggested he might scare down some elk for me. By running around going, Got it! Oh, got it! Got it! Got it! I just want to break this news to you. Not everyone called Gary has to just say, Get it, randomly. Gary! Don't they? No. Do they do when they're around me? (laughs) It's good because you know where they are at all times. It's very true. You never lose a a Gary. There's Gary. It's like a sonar for them, isn't it? Get a ping, get a Gary, get a ping. <laughs> a Gary ping. Now, Igden is his, his mate, then separated, at which point the hunter pulled out his brand new Magnum rifle and loaded it with powerful 7mm bullets. Higdon decided to explore an area that was concealed behind a hill and set off, never imagining what would happen next. 7mm bullets are pretty big round. Are they? Yeah. It's a it's a similar size round to what you'd use in uh, an AK forty seven. Isn't it seven millimeters? It is an AK forty seven across. Yeah. AK forty seven 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 six seven point seven seven point six two. Is that what it is? Yeah. For an AK five seven six is the five five uh, six for NATO five seven six for the AK seventy four. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. He walked for Higdon, he walked for a few moments, and then at the corner of his eye he caught a flash of movement. It was exactly what he'd come for, a small herd of elk. Higdon silently raised his heavy rifle, put his eyes to the sight, and took aim at the largest male. <laughs> to quote him, he says, I had walked maybe five minutes until I came to a rise in the ground. Down below in a clearing were five elk huddled closely together, and from my vantage point, several hundred yards away, I could see that one of them was a really outstanding animal. Oh, so I thought I'd kill it. Yeah. yeah. I, lined, I lined him up in my... Te- At least he's going to eat it. That's it. He's, he's not well, doing this a sport. No, he's, hopefully he's going to honour the animal correctly and use every part of it. Yeah, I guess. I lined him up in my telescopic sight and fired my gun, a magnum rival. 
It can give your shoulder a mean whack if you're not careful. I guess the best way to describe this will be, it's like a World War II rifle, a World War I rifle in that respect. Like an M1 Garand or something. Yeah, some, I think that might be a slightly bigger round. But certainly the German Car 98 rifle. You're looking, it's going to make a sizable mess of you. You think of a 9mm, yeah? It's a bit smaller than that. But look at the damage that you got more propellant, don't it? I don't know yeah. what you're on about. You look at the damage. <laughs> I don't know, American friends, you can help us out with yeah, that. Yeah, they're the different guns. American friends, you can help us out. The bigger the bullet, the more damage it does. That's it. Pretty much. And it will be at this moment that Carl Higdon's world would take a decided twist towards the bazaar. As soon as Higdon pulled the trigger of his magnum, he was astounded by the fact there was no kickback from the rifle. Which would be a sizable kickback from a cartridge that big. What was even more perplexing was the fact the detonation was absolutely silent. In fact, according to Higdon, it was as if the entire world had fallen still. Max Payne. Uh, mm, Max bullet, Payne. Bullet time. Yeah. <laughs> that was a fucking awesome game that when it came yeah. out. Now if you said the Matrix, I look at you straight off. Mm. Is that they literally invented bullet time in that movie? True. As if all of that were not strange enough, for the first time in his life, Higdon <laughs> claimed that he was actually able to watch as the bullet left the barrel of his rifle and soared forward so slowly that it looked like as if it were travelling through a wall of invisible jello. Cool. You sounded really northern when you started that sentence, by the way. It's <laughs> like really northern. Voice, that's why I giggled. <laughs> Igden later swore that he watched the bullet glide about 50 feet before it plummeted to the snow-speckled ground before him. That was it, 50 feet? Yeah, which is not obviously, because um, these things are a couple of hundred feet away. So good. I couldn't believe my senses, Igden said. Instead of a powerful blast, the 7mm bullet left the gun's barrel noiselessly and in slow motion. It floated like a butterfly. Didn't sting like a bee, though. <laughs> Finally falling to the ground about 50 feet from where I was stood. I was awestruck. I froze. All around me there was a painful silence. Not a chirping bird or a rustling of leaves or nearby trees could be heard. The only sensation I could detect was a tingling feeling which crawled up my spine. This was similar to the feeling you often get before a fierce thunderstorm when the air is full of static electricity. Still immersed in the eerie static charged silence, Higdon cautiously retrieved the bullet and inspected it closely. He immediately noticed that the lead portion of the 7mm round had disappeared and only the oddly misshapen case remained. Which shouldn't happen. No. Because no. the, the case gets ejected from the, from the gun mm. and it's only the bullet that projects out. Yes. Through, and let's assume that this is through a... the barrel. Hunting rifle, it's <coughs> probably bolt action. Mm. So the round, you would just yeah, work the action, it. eject the round, mm. yeah. load the next. I don't know, if even if it's semi-automatic, the round's being just, the case is being discharged. So. Mm. Weird. He placed the bullet into his pocket and took a few perplexed steps forward. That was when the deathly silence surrounding him was abruptly broken by the sound of a twig snapping. Higdon spun around and was confronted by a sight that he instantly knew was not of this earth. Dude, kill yeah. <laughs> Ozzo won. 
That's what he saw. He saw this. This. this yes. Story. Now we're looking at a sketch here, listeners, yeah. so you can go and check that out. Arzo one A U S S O one one. It's a tall guy. He's got some crazy hair, some little antennae, a spike for a hand, a stump for another. He's got. He's well, just an Australian, mate. <laughs> G'day, mate. Yeah, my name's Ozzo One. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking ripper. <laughs> I'm getting, and I don't know about you guys, I'm getting Sam the Sandown clone vibes off Ozzo One. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I understand that, but he is differently dressed, but I know what you mean. You know, you know that's, that's not a count for personal taste, Pete. Ozzo and Sam might be him. One might, he might be one of a goth. Sam might be a clown. Are you thinking they're like the same breed of beings, perhaps? Sam did claim in his encounter that he was one of many on the earth. In heart living and hiding. Hmm. Just the antennae too. Sam had antennae. Yeah. You know, just just throwing it out there. Okay. Yeah, okay. I like that theory. They go back and check out our episode on Sam the Sandown clone. I think it's called Weird Cryptids. So I scroll down the mind, let's uh, continue. Turning to my left, said Higdon, I saw a, quote, man standing there. At first I thought he was just another hunter, so I lowered my gun. Then he moved out of the shadows into the light, and immediately I realised that something was terribly wrong. My heart skipped a beat and my knees were shaking so badly I could hardly stand. I thought, hell, I should have stayed in McCarthy Canyon like I'd originally planned. <laughs> Standing before the trembling hunter was what appeared to be a humanoid being clad in a skin-tight black one-piece outfit that Higdon claimed was similar to a wetsuit scuba divers wear. <laughs> Atop the suit was a pair of harness-like straps that crisscrossed its chest, below which was a metallic belt adorned with a large yellow six-pointed star. Beneath the star was an insignia that the outdoorsman could not identify. Higdon described the, well, at least what he presumed to be, masculine entity in detail. It was definitely a male, he said. <laughs> Did he check his bald, did he? <laughs> I hope he asked him and not just presumed his gender. Black suit. <laughs> oh, there's different pic- I was looking at different pictures of him. And mm. He's got some of them on there as well. I hope he wasn't assuming his gender. <laughs> not in this day and age. Not in Ooh. this day and age. Now, this was the 70s, can you clear? Yeah. The visitor had no detectable ears, his eyes were small and lacked eyebrows. The dome of his skull was covered with the coarsest hair imaginable. It looked as if he had straw growing out of his head. His complexion was very similar to an Oriental's. Can't say that nowadays either. (laughs) He was definitely man-like in height. I'd estimated he stood well over six feet tall and weighed about 180 pounds. This was entirely no ghost. Good Lord, he was flesh and blood. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> Bit of a, that, uh, that to me looks like an anime character that looks like something out of Beavis and Butthead yeah. <laughs> it does look a bit like Beavis like, or you know, Butthead actually it looks like Butthead with antenna I am the great Canario <laughs> that was Beavis yeah. Beavis yes I need to for my number Higdon would go on to depict this creature's oddly upsetting facial features including a lipless slit like mouth that concealed three exceptionally large teeth not unlike the notoriously fanged humanoids of Khufu. Who? Who? That's what I was thinking. On the top and the bottom. A pair of antennas, and most alarmingly to Higdon, a face of blending directly into its neck. Got no chin. 
Higdon continued his disturbing depiction of the alleged alien. Quote, Personally, it took getting used to in order for me to look at him without getting a queasy feeling in the pit of my stomach. No chin was visible. His face just seemed to blend right into his throat. He had no jawbone. Uh, so I punched him. He's the alien Audley Harrison, isn't he? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yes. That's an, a weirder picture Pete's found. That's the humanoid of Kofu. Oh, right, the human of the Kofu. Oh. Find that on the internet listener. Google that. Looks like a vampire in bandages. Yeah, mummy vampire. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Well, you know what? I think that's going to be an, an episode one day. Yeah. Would you and Anthony the strange and human of the Kofu mm. have to make an appearance? Three big teeth. That's all they've got. Hmm. So, stranger still was the fact that this long-armed, bow-legged, jaundice-skinned creature had a pointy, almost drill-bit-like appendage sticking out of its wrist where its right hand ought to have been, and nothing at all on the left. At this point, the being slowly approached the terrified Higdon and did something completely unexpected. It asked him, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi, mate. How are you doing? Been watching Friends, have you? The name's Ozzo. I think he was pre I think we know now where Matt... Uh, what's his face got the inspiration? Yeah. Matt LeBlanc got the inspiration. How are you doing? He travelled from the past and the future, didn't no, he? No, I'm going with my first instinct. He's an Aussie. He's just mm-hmm. some big, tall Aussie guy with a funny haircut. <laughs> and a pointy bit for a hand. And... He's just got a stump for a hand. <laughs> yeah, carried off doing a barbie, mate. Yeah, sure, what a really big pork chop it was. <laughs> Or a shark bit off. Sharks bit it off, yeah. probably. The bewildered hunter admitted that he was trying to stay calm when he weakly responded, Pretty good. <laughs> At this point, the extraterrestrial, like any good host, inquired whether or not Higdon was hungry. Before he could respond, the creature sent a small, clear cellophane package floating towards him. Want some, want some candy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of this, mate. <laughs> I think he's like, eh, have some of these. <laughs> he waved a pointed object to where his right hand should have been, and it levitated over to me. I opened the packet and found four pills inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, he's just a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> he told me in English to take one of them, and that it would last four days. Now, normally I don't like taking pills, not even an aspirin, but something happened. It's as if I had no control over my actions, so I just swallowed one of them and put the other three into my jacket pocket. So some Aussie gave him a fucking trip. Yeah. And this is this is his trip, basically. I suppose what we could look at here is the possibility that when he was helping them guys out, they gave him maybe something to drink that was possibly laced with acid. <laughs> and then... He met some Australian he guy. He met some Australian guy in the woods who was also a, he was like hunting, but also, a, you know, it was like, he's on the trip a lot better for you, mate. You know. Why would the people that he's helping drug him up? I don't know, just throw it out there. The strange jawless humanoid then introduced himself as Ozzo One. And that was when Higdon's gaze caught a strange box-like object catching the sun's rays in the clearing behind the strange creature. See, that like a box-like object. Ah, so did the pill... Sam the Sandman... Sam the Sandman man had like a... He had like a metal um, shed, wasn't it? A metal shed that the uh, old telephone engineers have put up. Did it was a box or something. When they were working on something. Oh, no, it was nothing to do with that. It was just a shed that he was living in. It was just the engineers were. Oh, no, you're right. The engineers were in the little shed. 
They, like, were, they were witnesses to the whole thing up yeah, but he had, Sam had a little metal shed, you yeah, know, a yeah. little metal box to live in. Yeah. Stranger and stranger. I'm wondering if the pill allowed him to see the spacecraft. Opened he didn't his see mind, it before, did like it? DMT yeah. or something. No, it won't. If it's an Aussie drug dealer, then yes, it's DMT or something. Or acid or whatever. If it's actually an alien and the explanation given here is it's actually a food pill or it's an alien or a hypnol uh, he's about to get spiked up the arse <laughs> there is some um, there, is, there is some coming later on oh. there you go <laughs> I thought it was an alien food pill ok so it'll keep you like full for four days I'm going with rohypnol <laughs> well <laughs> Higdon said then there not far from us was a transparent cube shaped object resting on the ground to me, it looked like a huge Christmas package. You know, flat on all sides like a box. I couldn't see any landing gear or entrance, and it was much smaller than any of our commercial or military planes. In fact, you're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> but this thing couldn't have been more than five feet high, seven feet long, and four and a half feet wide. Tiny is the only word I can think of to accurately describe its size. Apparently intrigued by the awe at which Higdon was staring at his ship, the alleged alien gamely asked the hunter, mm, Do you want to come along? Want to go for a ride? <laughs> Higdon, fully aware of the fact that he was in no position to refuse this being any request, lamely shrugged his shoulders in assent. It was at this point that he, the time appeared to leap forward, as Higdon's next recollection was of being inside the cube-like craft. He said, before I was able to move a muscle, I found myself inside this contraption. It was instantaneous. How I was able to fit inside remains a riddle. Ah, uh, they, they must have shrunk me. That's the only explanation that seems plausible. Ah, the pill shrunk, shrunk him. Mm. Oh, maybe. There you go. Like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. I wouldn't venture how they accomplished his feet. Also, one just pointed, and we were where he wanted us. <laughs> oh, have you yeah. not seen Doctor Who, mate? Yeah, Come on, look at the TARDIS. Yeah, I'd be right where he wanted me. <laughs> you presume he bent over a table? <laughs> oh, God, I have got the spike on his hands for. Yeah. I'm telling you, that was Rohypnol. <laughs> <laughs> After Ozzo One loaded his earthly guest into his tiny, perhaps TARDIS-like box, Higdon's mind began to get fuzzy and he started to panic. The quoting, he said, my memory fails me here. I recall my head starting to reel, my hands sweating. Some of this, the pill this fellow gave me must have deadened at least some of my senses. Pete's <laughs> 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 right. Otherwise, I'm positive I would have been crying and perhaps even fainted. I may be strong, but I'm only human. At this point, Higdon noticed that all five of the elk he had been stalking just moments before were also in the cube behind what he perceived to be an invisible barrier. The hunter marvelled at the creature's ability to incapacitate the untamed animals. I'm kind of fuzzy as to how they managed to, make, to contain such wild beasts. They were motionless, paralysed. Well, I'm guessing it's the same, it's the same pill that he... He offered them a pill too, yeah. yeah. Take the pill, Mr Elk. <laughs> Trangun them. No, you have to do it suppository, wouldn't it? <laughs> Probed him with his pointy stump. Yeah. Or he could have just fed him an apple with a bit of pill stuck in mm. it. More than likely. <laughs> that could work too. I like how you all went to the like really sick end of it. Like, yeah, shoved it up his arse! <laughs> uh, 
let's say these things using going in an alien encounter. He shoved up his gap side with his tongue. Jesus. There's always a bar, isn't there? And Mike always gets under it. Way under. Way under. Why the fuck did you then? Why is Jack side with your tongue? What porn have you been watching? I tell you what. Elf porn, I don't know. I would almost be intrigued just to spend five minutes in Mike's mind. Oh, you wouldn't. Just to see what's happening in that in that brain of his. Believe me, you wouldn't. I don't think I would, no. No, not the stuff getting shoved up my japs, eye. With someone's tongue? With someone's tongue? No. An alien's tongue at that. He could have done. We don't know. I'll just point out there. His memory is fuzzy. He didn't, didn't see anything what happened to the elk. So no, he didn't know. That's true. This is all pure speculation, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Other methods of delivering sedatives are available. We know Mike's favourite. Yeah. <laughs> it would seem the <laughs> elk. It's a good job he's not a doctor, is he? Yeah. <laughs> Mike the anaesthetist. <laughs> no, I don't want him. <laughs> right, I'm going to serve a sugar some of these <laughs> can I just breathe the gas in? No. <laughs> I love my lower ribs removed so I can do it to myself. <laughs> but that doctor said it is just gas. <laughs> Don't matter. <laughs> I've got to insert it into you. Through it's your jab side with my tongue. <laughs> with my tongue. It's the only way to do it. Only way to be sure. <laughs> oh, shit. It would seem that the only, the only thing's paralysed. Because at virtually the same moment as he saw the frozen beasts, Higdon claimed that he had become abruptly aware of the fact he was now sitting in a high-backed bucket seat with what he described as restrictive bands throwing <laughs> his arms around. This could be. hasn't seen what's happened to the elk. <laughs> this could be awful. As we took off, I found myself strapped down to the seat, my hands held fast to the armrests of armrests of the chair. My legs were similarly bound. Resisting what must have been an overwhelming urge to panic, Higdon watched in growing horror as another jawless, straw-haired being appeared out of nowhere, at which point he and his genial partner strapped a bizarre wire-smothered football helmet-like device to his head, prompting the hunter to state, I felt like the monster in an old Frankenstein movie. Oh, you're the gimp. (laughs) In this scenario, more than likely the gimp. Yes, master. (laughs) (laughs) Higdon then observed a console with three dissimilar levers which Ozzo 1 used to control the craft. The alien pointed its hand at the long, quote, hand at the longest lever and seemed to be able to move it with a telepathy. It was then that the peculiar transport cube that Higdon would later describe as a flying boxcar took off. Ozzo 1 manipulated the vehicle as it hovered above Higdon's truck. With a point of his conical hand, the vehicle vanished before his eyes. And when we got above the trees, Ozzo aimed his arm at the pickle truck and it disappeared. Poof! Vanished to thin air, said Higdon. As if this entire ordeal weren't already quite outlandish enough, Higdon testified that just as suddenly as they left terra firma, he abruptly spied an ominous planet-like sphere, shaped similar to a basketball, as most planets are. Through the clear floor of the box-like craft, 
a planet he immediately knew was not Earth. See, this sounds too much like lots of different films, all amalgamated into one. It was in the 70s, though, remember this? Yeah. So a lot of these films got... haven't been out yet. Yeah, all of the films have already been out, all the stories that he could be taking this from. Mm. Doctor Who, that's been out for years. You're not getting Doctor Who in America in the 1970s. Is that reckon? Mm. Not a chance, it was a very British show. They've got a BBC. Yeah. Not back then, they had in the 70s. No. I doubt it. I would have thought they would. But then you've got Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The glass fucking elevator that flies around. Mm. With the, it's just there's a, there's a lot of. When was that film? Oh god, sixties. No. Willy Wonka and the, the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Seventies at least, isn't it? Seventies. <laughs> Maybe early seventies. Like but the book was around way before. The book was probably the sixties. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, isn't it? Anyway, the most memorable sight that Higdon recalled from his impromptu tour of this ostensibly alien world was a colossal tower that loomed above the surface. He would later compare it to Seattle's Space Needle, but unlike its earthbound namesake, this huge umbrella-like structure was covered in rotating lights that were so blinding they hurt his eyes. The hunter was also overwhelmed by a sound that he compared to an electric razor buzzing. 1971. Oh, okay. All around this tower were revolving patterns and multicoloured lights, not unlike powerful spotlights. They were so intense it was actually painful to keep my eyes open. These lights were so brilliant that I held my hands to my face as a protective shield. I vaguely remember shouting, Shut them off! They're burning me! I just couldn't tolerate them. Close his eyes then. Well, yeah, that would help. <laughs> oh, they're burning his skin? Ah. Uh-huh. But he feels like they're burning his skin. Rather than comforting their frightened guests, the second drill-handed humanoid merely commented that they had similar problems on their homeworld, insisting that... On our homeworld, sorry. Insisting that your son burns us too. Right. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It's like, well, it's a tip for tat, isn't it? Like, oh my God, those lights! And he's like, yeah, well, your son burns us too, mate. Shut the fuck up, so being a bitch. Yeah, but the lights are brighter than I'm assuming in the sunlight on Earth. All I'm saying is that humanoid number two is a bit of a dick. So if they can take that, they should be able to take the, the sun on Earth, shouldn't they? Yeah. Mm. Doesn't really make sense. I'm just saying that he's number two is a bit of a dick. Mm. Sounds it. It was then that the odd craft landed around 150 feet away from the platform at the base of the tower, at which point the second being vanished just as abruptly as it arrived. Through the transparent walls of the ship, Higdon saw what he claimed were five human beings dressed in average Earth fashions, talking to one another. The individuals consisted of one brown-haired girl who appeared to be about 11 years old, a blonde girl who was just a few years older, and a teen couple who seemed to be about 17 or 18. The group was rounded out by a man who seemed to be in his 50s. Pedo. <laughs> or Dad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd go with Dad on that. Bloody hell, Michael. <laughs> the people seemed to be talking to one another and did not notice Higdon. Also, one who had so causally invited, offered, sorry, causally offered Higdon food pills and a rider of the cosmos did not explain the presence of the other humans, but patiently explained to the anxious oil man that they had touched down on a planet that was 163,000 light miles from Earth. Ooh. So, uh, what's a light mile? Oh. A million? 
know how long it takes for a light to travel in a mile. So that's like 176,000 metres per second. <laughs> Kilometres per second. I, I, I can't what fucking knows? remember the maths of that bullshit. Well, either way, he was quick to realise the creature did not say light years, mm. which to him indicated in no uncertain terms that to them the passage of time is different than it is to us. It's amazing he's using miles. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's amazing it a different species in, <laughs> yeah. in It's amazing how far the British Empire actually got, isn't it? It's the yeah. English language, the fact that they even know our Well, you what, presume what? that if they can travel interplanetary they've got some kind of universal translator. Yeah, but universal translator wouldn't allow them to know what our what's the word I'm looking for? Like like well, measuring you, of distance and mm. things like that. Measuring you, they units. Wouldn't, they wouldn't understand units and shit. Unless they're that intelligent that they, they know he speaks English it, yeah. and they're going to call it Mars and he's already converted it in his head from his own... If they're here, I suppose they are vastly more intelligent than us. They probably know our units. They've got to research us a little bit, you know? Could have been living on Earth for a while. Anyway, could be researching and... Sam could have told him. Yep, yep, conveying with Sam. Ozo One escorted Higdon into the dazzling tower and the pair ascended in an elevator which deposited them in a room where the hunter was instructed to stand on a small platform. Higdon noted that he and the alien ever actually walked anywhere, but seemed to be floating just above the ground while they hovered towards their destination. Ozo One, so arbitrarily, or so it seemed, explained there were no fish on his planet, and that these finned critters were one of his people's favourite things about Earth. Ah, oh, he loves the fish. You love the fish. He won't love the mercury in the fish. <laughs> nah, or the microplastics. No. Or the radiation. Yeah. At this point, an odd device that Higdon described as resembling a glassy shield slipped out of the wall and paused in front of the human. The shield was evidently some kind of medical device and scanned the man for almost five minutes before he disappeared back into the wall. Good thorough scan, at least. Yeah. Projections never fun, but it's hard to contemplate that Higdon did not consider did not consider to be a stroke of luck when his extraterrestrial tour guide informed him that they were going to return to the spot where they had first met because the examination had shown that he did not suit their purpose. Uh, He wasn't an anal virgin. Oh, maybe his willy wasn't big enough, or maybe he had a heart defect, or... You don't know? (laughs) Spoiler alert, he's had a vasectomy. Ah, right. There's humans walking around on an alien planet. He doesn't suit their purpose because he's had a vasectomy. Mm. What do you think's happening? Mm. Alien-human hybrid program. <laughs> wow. Are they humans? I, mean, I tell you what. They could be fifth-generation hybrids. You don't know. It's because been a while. Human. If they want a human hybrid sex machine, let me know. I'll go up there. They're not, I don't think oh, nothing else. I think they're just going to put a thing around your dick and milk you. Nah, I'd be like, no, come on, at least I'm doing this willingly. Let me at least fuck whatever I'm, no, I'm no. impregnating. Sorry, you get the milking <laughs> thing. That's it. You're milked into a tube over and over again. Be like all those fleshlights or whatever they call That's it, just a fleshlight constantly pumping you as they pump Viagra into one end. <laughs> and testosterone into the other. Higdon, perhaps mercifully, never knew what this potentially nefarious purpose was, although he would speculate it was a breeding programme, or clearly. Ozo One led the old man back to the elevator and then down to the main door. With the same abruptness it had felt earlier, 
Higdon realised that he and his alien companion were now back inside the clear cubicle, this time with no elk. Ozzo One was admiring the human's rifle, and with a tinge of regret admitted that as much he was not be able to keep the primitive weapon as a souvenir. Primitive weapon. It's going to blow a hole in an elk and it's primitive to them. Right, can I, can I put, I'm just going to like highlight a slight flaw in this now, right? From, I'm talking now from Ozzo's side. Mm. Right, he's come down to Earth. Yeah. He's got some guy. Ah, alright mate. How you doing? Ah, you look kind of good. Kind of guy I'd like to... Milk. Let, let shag my <laughs> wife or whatever. Milk. Or whatever. Milk, Milk into yeah. a tube. Instead of him then giving him the pill, taking him fucking billions of miles away... Just have to bring him back for nothing. Why didn't they do the test there? Why or why didn't he say to him, "Will you junk in order, mate?" <laughs> well, if he'd have just said that one question <laughs> to him, all right, and he'd have gone, "I've had a Go check to me." It's scary that. Go to a stranger dressed as an alien, right? Offer him a pill, <laughs> <laughs> and then ask him if the junk's in order. Yeah, but, but and they've got instant things. It's pretty much instantaneous travel. Well, it felt like it was. Oh, it felt like it was. Travel because he was all pilled up. But if he had just asked him that question, because he was already pilled up, he was already doing his every fucking will anyway, so why didn't he just say to him, Have you had a vasectomy? Yes, I have. Okay, right, go and have a sleep for ten minutes, or here's another pill, this will counteract that one. <laughs> Be on your way, mate. You'll forget this ever happened. Yeah. And then he'd go and yeah. find the next guy. Surely. We don't know. They're that advanced, and they couldn't fucking think of that. But we don't know if it wasn't instantaneous travel, and these TARDISes aren't a spacecraft, but some kind of dimension jumping or instantaneous galactic teleporter. Yeah, but what people say, way, that would still cost yeah. money. Why didn't they have the contraption on the ship? Yeah, well, or even just sense. ask the question. No, because he could lie, couldn't he? No, but he was already bent to their will. He was fucking taking drugs off him all sorts. <laughs> Surely he was going to give him the truthful answer all, about all, whether he'd had junk chopped. In all fairness, he has taken drugs off an alien in the woods. That's He's a pretty point. trusting guy, isn't he? That's my point. He's taking a pill off an alien in the woods. He's a trusting man. They could easily... They could have just asked him, I guess. You're they right. They could easily, within that pill, that they've already fucking got him to take, have a little bit of truth serum in there. Just a little bit of truth serum. So when he does ask him, how's well, your junk... He gives him a truthful answer. Mm. Yeah. If they're that fucking far advanced, why didn't they think of that when little old me, and little old Blighty, mm. has thought of that? So that for me now, I do not believe any of this story. <laughs> it took that. That was the one little right. That was that one little factor that made me think no bullshit. But if it's, in, if it's near instantaneous travel, then what's it fucking matter? Surely though, his boss is going to be like that. Ah, Ozzo, you fucking knobhead. What have I told you about this? It costs more, every time you come back and forth. More, than likely, he's like, more than likely, they've got a target to it, and they've got to... How do, how do we all know? Perhaps we haven't been taken there, by Ozzo. Perhaps he was there for the elk. They, they said they like Could have brought the elk back. Maybe they like venison. Maybe they like collecting species. Yeah. I mean, there are no breeding zoos. That's another possibility. Mm-hmm. So he's not only gone back for the elk, he saw the human as a fucking a bit of a bonus, yeah, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, shit. So do a few more of them. So you can never have too many humans. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the contraption was on the ship because that wasn't the plan. I bet their SOPs have, stri- have changed now, though, eh? <laughs> yeah. Standard operating procedures. Yeah, yeah, but they have, yeah. Since 1974, now 
Now they ask the question before they take them on the ship. I like to know like, hey, it's a bit. I'd love to keep this primitive weapon as a fucking souvenir. It's like, you can't fire it, mate. You got a stump and a pointy bit on your arm. <laughs> what are you gonna do with it? Put it on the wall and look at it. Yeah, like we do, put it on display. I don't know. I'm sure you want to give it a bit of fire, wouldn't you? Anyone? No? I would, yeah, but, yeah. That, you know, if, if they couldn't... Well, they could, because they can move things with their mind. Oh, yeah, true. You just hold it telepathically, couldn't you? Telekinetically. Another slight flaw. Oh, another one? Yeah, another, another slight flaw. Mm-hmm. Vasectomy is actually reversible. It is. Yeah. And if they're that far, te- far <laughs> advanced, mm. why did the fuck didn't they just go, it's not a problem, mate, we can fucking sew that back together? Don't even oh, need to because your body's yeah, your body still produces sperm. It just doesn't go. It's not fertile. It's not sterile. It's not, he's not. He's not fertile even. Yeah, he is. He's still producing sperm. Oh, yeah. So it's just they've <clears throat> they've cut the you know the path where it goes. So yeah, many flaws in this story. Mm. And that and that yeah. whole spunk debunkle is the uh, the biggest flaw that opened it all up for debunked me. Debunked by spunk. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought Spunk Debunkle was good. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry guys. Higgs is on his way home now. Also, one has telepathically handed the rifle back to him. Telekinetically. Tele- telepathically, telekinetically. One of you. To believe it? stuff is telekinesis, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Telepathic is. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Mind, telekinetic, yeah. Who wrote this uh, article? Yeah, someone who's never seen the X Men, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to give them a, a telling off. Mysteriousuniverse.org. Yeah. Ozzo then removed the food pills from his pocket. You're not having no more space drugs, mate. You jaffer. <laughs> <laughs> a fact that dismayed the hunter as it represented the only piece of concrete evidence that he had of this weird event. Once again, the alien pointed at the longest lever, and it was then that our intrepid hero suffered another disorientating time jump. Hayton quickly realised that he was no longer hovering above an alien world, his alien comrade and his miraculous cube had seemingly instantaneously transported him back to Earth. He claimed that he saw his truck, which had been inexplicably transported some five miles from the glade, where it had been parked two and a half hours before. The hunter later considered the situation. To quote him, he said, Since I was in a state of mental stress, this fact did not have any impact on me until some time later. And he was suffering from drug withdrawal whatever come down he's on <laughs> he's on some massive come down isn't he <laughs> I know that I could never have driven over that impossible terrain even if I'd been physically capable of driving which I was most certainly not at this point the kindly spaceman said to the earthing we'll see you and the foreman was overwhelmed by a floating sensation and without warning found himself standing on the edge of a steep rocky slope the loose stones could not support his weight, and he suddenly found himself plummeting down the nine-foot decline, severely impacting against the hard ground and injuring his head, neck, and shoulder. So yeah, that's a really kindly sh- space man. So that's really like shit teleport. You know, yeah. you never saw that on Star Trek, did you? They never teleport Kirk to the edge of a canyon. They just <laughs> plummet stone. <laughs> it, it was. A, it was it's like we'll see you. <laughs> we'll see it. Uh, how how much is that going to fucking play on yeah. poor his poor mind? Like, what? He's going to come back. Oh fuck! Mm. They're going to come back. Oh shit! <laughs> surely afterwards, you'd be freaked out by the mm. whole situation, thinking he said we'll see you. 
He's going to come back to me. Maybe he's going to have my kids. Yeah. What a twat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the next thing the bewildered father of four consciously recalled was staggering nearly three miles down an old dirt road, rifle in hand, freezing, and in a state of nearly hysterical amnesia. To quote him, he said, I didn't know what had happened, who I was, or where I was, for that matter. The only thing I could think of was to get out of there as fast as possible and find someone who would help me. Higdon was in such a state of shock that he walked past his pickup without even recognising it. When he realised he was utterly alone on the dirt road, he backtracked to the vehicle. There I stood, shivering, eyes filled with tears and not knowing my own identity. I saw a truck parked off the road between some trees and decided to crawl into it for shelter and to keep warm. I didn't realise the truck belonged to me. At least it dropped him off by his truck. In a very confused coming down state, obviously. <laughs> Huddled and trembling in shock, Higdon was startled by a feminine voice that suddenly crackled over the CB radio. There was a two-way set under the dashboard, so I picked up the mic and held it close to my mouth. I managed to blurt out that I was sick and lost and desperately in need of assistance. When a voice on the other end asked me where I was, I told him I'd seen a sign down the road which read North Boundary National Forest. This didn't seem to be much help, however, as there was absolutely no indication as to what forest the sign was referring to. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like being up the shit creek without a paddle, that, isn't it? It is a little bit, but if your truck's there, then hopefully you're in the same place, even though your truck has been moved. Yeah, they moved it, didn't they? A search party led by a local sheriff and accompanied by Higdon's wife, Marjorie, had a lot of difficulty navigating the backwards paths with their four-wheel drive vehicles and were able to locate the panicky hunter until almost midnight. It was during this arduous trip that Higdon's wife and two other deputies claimed to have spied green, red and white flashing lights in the sky, but they were too far away to discern its true origin. Whether it's green, red and white, I'm guessing those are aircraft yeah. lights. Mm. And without any further evidence yeah. to say they were dancing around the sky or anything like that, you've got to assume that those particular colours are aircraft, haven't you? Yeah. Later it would come out that two residents of Rawlings, Wyoming, Don and Marilyn James, claimed to have observed an unusual region in the vicinity of Medicine Bow Forest at the same time the posse was making its way towards the missing hunter. Not too long after, the baffled officers were astounded to find Higdon's two-wheel drive truck bumper deep in a mud-filled sinkhole in the centre of a forest ravine that was impenetrable by motor vehicles. Cunts, man. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the conditions were so bad that the police were forced to make the final leg of the journey by foot. Is that it there? That's it there, yeah. There's a picture we're looking at. And it is stuck in the mud, isn't it? A good foot down, definitely. Yeah. Probably more than that. They're probably 20 inch rims at least on that. That's no. It looks like a, it's a raised truck, isn't it? It's not a 4x4, four four, but. You're talking good foot and a half under, yeah. under mm. snow. Even more perplexing was the fact there were no tyre tracks mm. leading into the bog. The sheriff and his men could not comprehend how Higdon has managed to get his pickup truck stuck there. And judging the circumstance, it would have had to have been dropped from above. 
It seemed to defy rational logic. See, this is the best bit of evidence. That's the, the only thing. bit of evidence. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, that's the only bit of evidence. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So up to this point, it's all we're talking said. in what he said, and for all we know, he just took some drugs off a random hunter in the field, got off his tits. Yeah. The fact there's no tyre tracks leading into this impassable terrain that the police can't get their four-wheel trucks into, and he's a... You know, it's like a bit of a... It's a two-wheel... It's a pickup truck, but it's two-wheel drive. Mm. Well, and there's no there's no tracks. How do you get in? And for that to, to have been that much snow, surely there'd be some record of that. Like, oh, yeah, there, there was this mad fucking snowdrift that put two foot of snow down in two hours. Yeah. There would have been some record of that, surely. As if things weren't bizarre enough, when they finally managed to pry the still terrified Higdon from the truck, he was shrieking that they took my elk! Uh. He even failed to recognise his own wife. Oh, oh dear. He's, in trouble. he's definitely in trouble. <laughs> you got that fucking wreck. If you found your husband in a seemingly impossible situation in a pickup truck screaming, they took my elk, and not recognising you, what would you do? I'd be like, oh, I think he's mad at all. <laughs> Take him away. Put the white well, coat on him now. He's going to need some help, isn't he? I'd say so. Deputies quickly packed the hunter and his wife into one of their vehicles, while the rest of the police were confronted with the puzzle of how to get the seemingly impossibly tracked pickup truck out of the bog. Eventually, they created a sort of bridge with fallen trees and finally managed to tow the truck from the shallow ravine and down the dirt paths that would have proven impossible to navigate with a two-wheel drive truck. Higdon later described the situation, saying, Using tow equipment, I was hauled out. They immediately took me to the nearest hospital where I was placed into day and night observation. Not until the following evening did I begin to regain my memory and start to recall a few details of my ordeal. Sheriff's deputies wasted no time in transporting the frantic hunter and his wife to the Carbon County Memorial Hospital in Rawlins, where he was admitted at 2.30am. The doctors on staff noticed his eyes were extremely bloodshot and he seemed to be suffering from nervous exhaustion, not to mention the injuries he'd sustained during his fall into the gully because of careless teleportation. <laughs> Scotty never made that mistake. He didn't. Following an extensive series of medical tests, the doctors noticed that despite Higdon's clearly injured and anxious condition, his blood was extraordinarily nutrient and vitamin rich. Even more peculiar was the fact that in 1958, Higdon had been hospitalised after he came into contact with tuberculosis and at the time x-rays showed a significant amount of scarring on his lungs. Be that as it may, the x-rays that were taken following his presumably intergalactic expedition in 1974 showed that no scar tissue on his lungs and his doctor, one R.C. Tongo... <laughs> I'm Dr. Because <laughs> it, it reminds me of the sunny in Philadelphia one, Dr. Mm. Mantis Toboggan. <laughs> so, I'm Dr. R.C. I'm Dr. R.C. Tongo. <laughs> You know, like just uh, even noted that some painful kidney stones which had been plaguing the hunter were no longer evident. The mystified Dr. Tongo even stated that he's now in A1 super condition. If Dr. Tongo says I'm. I want some of them pills. Believe it. Yeah. Me too. 
Absolutely. Sound good. That's incredible, isn't it? Must be the food pills and supplement. Mm. You know. I want to hear this guy. Story, I want to hear <laughs> this guy's still alive now. Claire's a believer. <laughs> it's what it for Claire. He's still alive. Um, He's still alive, is he? I don't know. Might tell us. I actually don't know. I never, I never found out he was. Nineteen seventy-four. So that's fifty years ago. Nearly. Obviously, he'd been working for twenty years, so he'd been forty then. So he'd be ninety odd now. Even if he's dead, he might have lasted a lot longer than he should have. Mm. I mean, if you've got tuberculosis scarring on your lungs, you get the flu. That's pneumonia straight away, isn't it? Near enough, if you get a bad case of flu. Yeah. That ain't going well. Despite his new and improved organs, though, the still petrified oil man remained incoherent through the night and, according to most reports, did not manage to reclaim his memories until the following day when his daughter came to visit him. It was then that he regaled his wife, doctors and police officers of this harrowing run-in with Ozzo One and his undamed co-pilot and their journey to another world. While it's difficult to imagine that his rapt audience, consisting of both loved ones and authority figures, were not at least sceptical, this did nothing to prove the deputies from informing the press and local ufologists about Higdon's wild adventure. Marjorie, his wife, however, claimed that she never once doubted the sincerity of her husband's strange tale, later telling reporters from the Star Tribune, I believed him because it was him, and because I was out there and saw a lot of different things that went on that night. Some lights in the sky. <laughs> and the truck in a... Okay, that was weird, yeah. yeah. Although his innards showed a marked upgrading, Higdon's appetite did not return for days. A fact he attributed to Ozzo One's miraculous pills. Well, he said it last four days, didn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he grumbled about sharp pains in the base of his skull and neck, claiming he felt as if his body had been treated like an accordion. <laughs> that's why you the four. Well, that's fairness. Yeah, accordion. Human accordion. <laughs> It'd have to be like a toddler, wouldn't it? Wow. A good sort of what? You know, three, four foot. <laughs> It'd be a toddler, wouldn't it? If you were to use a human as an accordion. Something with three foot human about three foot tall as a toddler, mate. Or a hobbit. Or well, hobbits <laughs> hobbits aren't real, Pete, I'm sorry to break this to you. Well they are real, but they died out, didn't they? They found a skeleton, didn't they? They found some skeletons. Alright, then if we want a human accordion now, we've got to use a toddler. <laughs> or a dwarf. That's just sick, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing to a toddler's <laughs> You can tell these two don't have kids, can't you? Yeah, you can, can't you? Anyway. I just imagine an alien metal band with one bloke with a human accordion. That's fucking awesome. A bit like Dust Till Dawn, where he's playing that oh, guitar the human, made out of... Yeah. The human bass, yeah. yeah. God, I love that movie. Yeah. It's mainly because I sound like high echo, to be fair. It's pretty much the only reason that the really, really... Oh, it's a great movie. It's a great film. Sama Hayek. That's the highlight, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Oof. After three days of observation, the swiftly recovering outdoorsman was released from the hospital into the care of his wife and family. Let's go back to the bullet. You remember that bullet? Mm-hmm. Got a picture of it there. Looks a bit mangled. Does look mangled, doesn't it? It does. Looks really mangled. Battered, doesn't it? 
And then Higdon was still at a loss to explain the force which, which had managed to so thoroughly damage the bullet. And he took the case into the sheriff's office. According to Higdon, I'd never seen anything like it before to compare it to. As soon as I could, I took it to the Carbon County Sheriff's Department where the officer in charge of ballistics analysis examined it through a microscope. He told me that it was from a 7mm Magnum rifle, which is the calibre of my gun. Returning the chunk of metal, he noted he had never seen a bullet in that shape or condition. Not after hitting something. Bullets tend to mushroom out when they impact. That is not mushroom. Well, out. no. It's more like it's been hit with a hammer it's, a few It literally times. looks like it's hit. If that's the rear, look at the picture now. That's your uh, firing pin right there. The indentation where the firing pin strikes. That is the head of the bullet. It looks like a fucking hammer. Yeah. Bullets mushroom, don't they? Mm. That's not, that's hammered. That's like it's hit a, literally hit a brick wall. If it, if it, it depends on ricochet and things like that though, doesn't it? It does, but he's in the woods. Yeah, yeah. What's it ricocheting yeah, off yeah. in the woods? But that's, that's how I would describe that. It looks like a ricocheted bullet, one that's hit something a few times with great impact on each hit. Yeah. And it's damaged it on different bullets, sides. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, yeah, fucking well unusual. But then again, we should also, according to this show, they found bullets, a couple of bullets at Gallipoli, the old Gallipoli battlefield from World War One, where they collided in midair yeah, and one impaled the mental. other. Mental. And one what the other? They one had impaled the other. Yeah. And they both fallen down, stuck in like a almost like a cross shape. Yeah. X shape. Yeah. No, an X shape. Yeah. That's crazy. The picture of it is fucking. What kind of impact that would create? Like, nobody. Whichever one got the most kinetic force at the impact, so presumably the one coming in sideways, that might drive it back into someone's head, for all you know. <laughs> no, I wonder if it would create its own little shockwave or something. Oh, the yeah. Impact of the you, get some, you get some bullet time off that, mate. I'm just trying to think of... Like, Spark in the air. Like, there's got to be something, isn't there, with those yeah. two... Mm-hmm. The, the, the velocity meeting velocity like that, because normally it's velocity meeting stillness... There's more than one occasion I mean, yeah. where, uh, back in the day, where cannonballs collided in midair. That's more believable, because they're big. They are, but uh, as was, but you've, remember, you've always got less of them. It's got to individual bullets, haven't you, mate? Yeah, guarantee that's happened throughout the yeah. all the wars that's ever been. There will have been when there's been hundreds oh, and hundreds yeah. and thousands of bullets yeah. getting fired at once. And everyone's in a line, remember? It's got to be the odd no, one. That's, but remember, they're not doing that in World War One. Yeah, they're in the trenches. They're shoulder to shoulder-ish, but the bullets are stronger, powerful. You know, they wouldn't. That, the other point is they haven't flattened. They've just gone straight through, haven't they? They've pierced a bullet. Mm. It's mental, really. The sheriff inspected the water bullet and claimed he'd never seen its equal. And he was convinced that it was impossible to hammer the bullet into its existing shape and felt that the bullet had probably not hit a solid object like a tree or a rock. The copper jacket had been turned inside out and the lead slug was missing. He later wrote, It looks as if it had been turned inside out by a superhuman being. The sheriff. That's what the sheriff says. Mm -hmm. The Aerial Phenomena Research Organisation, or APRO, sent metallurgy consultant Dr Walter Walker to inspect the jacket, and after a rigorous examination of the object, he testified that it had collided with 
and an exceptionally solid surface with immense force. The assertion is not to be underestimated, as a 7mm bullet travels at such a fantastic rate of speed, it could not have been nigh well impossible to trap the casing down had it not hit something incredibly hard, much harder than a rock or a tree. So it must have hit his invisible translucent box. Mm. Yeah. That must be the explanation for that then, because it, as it, the way he described it all, it appeared behind him. This is, this is big though, this is physical evidence of something that can't be explained. He said, I fired the gun, fired my rifle, and there's no kick and you know the bullet just dropped after 50 metres so it must have hit some kind of force field or something if we're going to believe that and the fact that he has the actual physical bullet there mm. and, there, and the sheriff who's, and the ballistic expert and the metallurgy expert are saying well what this looks hell? a bit hard <laughs> mm. yeah then that's definitely so, I mean, that's physical evidence in an alien abduction case well I'm gone it's not physical evidence of an abduction. Case. No, but it's in. It's 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 it mag- physical evidence to suggest something from an abduction case. Something else could be happening. What else could be happening? It's lots of unexplained physical evidences, unexplainable physical evidence. I suppose, yeah. isn't it? With that, the car. That's too. That's too strange. Inexplicable. That's high strangeness, is what that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's very I love strange. that expression. High strangeness. Mm-hmm. In the APRO Bulletin, Volume 23, Number 5, which is published in March 1975, investigators were planning on organising a search party in order to find the lead slug of the 7mm in the hopes that it might produce additional evidence of what it had impacted against. Quoted from the report, After the snow melts, an attempt will be made to locate the lead slug from the bullet and hopefully we'll be able to add something to a very puzzling story. Unfortunately, the search party uh, failed to come to fruition, or if it did, their efforts were met with naught, leaving the mangled bullet casing as the only physical evidence in support of Higton's account. Despite the lack of corroborating proof, on October 29th, 1974, the Rawlings Daily Times published an account of Higton's extraordinary experience, and from there the story spread like wildfire. Like many abductees, or in this case, invitee, Okay. Kind of. He was invited. He felt like he had no choice but to accept, didn't he? Well, true. Higdon claimed to have had only a partial memory of his close encounter of the weird kind. He recalled that his bullet hitting the invisible barrier, meeting the alien and entering the clear cubicle with the elk. But after that, his recollections became hazy. And due to the success the team had had with their method in the past, the APOR investigators suggested the distressed huntsman undergo hypnotic regression in order to regain, reclaim his lost memories and hopefully put himself at ease with the reality of what happened to him. Hypnosis. Anyone down for hypnosis? Not sure. I've seen the shows where they get them to do stupid things on, you know, on stage and then they wake up, they're like... <gasps> Until I see it. It's one of those, do you, it, yeah. do you think it can be used to unlock parts of the human memory that may have been blocked or repressed. Potentially. I think so. I think the evidence is there to suggest maybe. I think it depends on which session you listen to they and who's it doing it. court cases and all sorts, don't they? They do, but it's just like a lie detector. It's not proof. It's not 100%, yeah. is it? No. I'm always a little sceptical of hypnosis because I think it can be... 
you're putting someone into this trance-like state, which I think power does, of suggestion. Which does it? I think it's a, a uh, lot of it's down to power of suggestion. Yeah. If you say, they say, oh, I saw a bright light in the sky, or what did the spaceship look like? It's a leading question. I've heard yeah, tapes yeah. like that before. Well, the, the hypnosis can unwittingly lead someone in a trance state into giving answers that. But it might not be memories they're unlocking. It might be a dream. That That's also true. You're right. Yeah. Memory, so. I think they can unlock stuff, but whether it's actually reality, I'm not Factual sure. Factual or not. And I mean, yeah. you can still, I mean, if people say, well, what about the emotions people experience when they're undergoing these things, it's like they're undergoing them again. But if you're having a particularly vivid dream that you forgot about, you would be undergoing that emotional trauma yeah. again, wouldn't you? If you're dreaming you're being examined by greys and having your eyeball popped out and something shoved up your ass. You're going to be in quite emotional trauma during that dream and reliving that. I think Mike's been a be lot. Well, he might enjoy it, yeah. <laughs> but the rest of us would be like, oh, no, not for me. I think it's interesting, you know, like the past, when they do past lives. Mm. Ah, well, see, I, I don't think I believe in that. I stretch it a bit too far for me. Mm. Well, they come round and they know nothing about what they've said. You find that a lot of it relates to something that they're usually quite passionate about or have had an experience of recently my favourite one there was always the, someone um, important in history that's also one of the fact it's like oh yeah I was Caesar in a past life yeah. it's like yeah you and 53 others mate yeah no one's a, a peasant who yeah you never hear anyone oh I was a, I was a dumb starved peasant starved to death do you know what I mean it's generally it's always someone interesting yeah. like oh I was a I, I, well, I, was a, a I was a peasant but a local lord very yeah. attractive so I was taking a uh, died giving birth to his child or something like that it's my favourite one I ever read of past life aggression was like this little kid and he was drawing a cockpit of a World War 2 fighter plane and he'd come up with this little story and I'd go oh my god how did he get that what does they put him under it no isses and he regressed to this this little story about him being a fighter pilot and he'd been shot down and then, then he realised it turned out three weeks ago he'd been to the Air Force Museum and sat in a cockpit. Huh. <laughs> he's drawing that stuff from memory and come up with a little story in his head. That being a kid, he'd recounted his parents who then freaked out and thought he'd been mm. reincarnated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Higdon agreed to the hypnosis session on November 2nd, 1974. Apro consultant and professor of psychology at the University of Wyoming, Dr. R. Leo Sprinkle, spent over four hours with the Higdons and their children discussing what happened as well as their responses to it. It's a great name. Sprinkle, yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. A trained hypnotherapist and former UFO sceptic who had allegedly investigated thousands of alien abduction cases. I think I may have heard his name yeah. before somewhere in a previous episode. Sounds familiar because you don't forget a name like Sprinkle. No. Do you? It's not one since I've been doing it, because that's not a name I'd have forgotten. No, that's it. you can't forget that name. He was a former sceptic. He had investigated thousands of alien abduction cases and believed that he himself was a victim. Mm. A bit of now, bias. Yeah, a bit of bias, maybe, now. in that, maybe, somewhere. He was assisted by MUFON field investigators Rick Kenyon and Robert Nanx. Sprinkle employed the classic pendulum technique in order to elicit hidden information from Higdon, but his efforts were met with disappointment. So some people you can't hypnotise. I've been to one of these stages at someone's birthday party mm -hmm. and some people just went, nope, not working for me and got up and fucked off. Yeah. It does depend on on your 
Darren yeah. Brown does it, doesn't he? You have to be receptive. Yeah, you have to be open to the idea. You yeah. can't go up there with any doubt in your mind, no. basically. So I'd be no good. Yeah. Because I'd be like, mm, not convinced. Well, it's all to do with power of the mind. So if your mind is already being empowered to be like, this ain't going to fucking happen, yeah. you're blocking it. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean, yeah. If, whether you know it or not. Yeah, well, you always come down on one side of the fence, the other most of the time, unless you might. Mm. <laughs> but you know it's like that's what I mean if I, I go up there and go well, I think this is a bit bollocks my mind's already blocked to it yeah you know if Claire goes up and says yeah yeah I'm up for this bring I'll, it on I'll be quacking like a duck on stage you'll be quacking like a duck <laughs> who knows who knows what else she'll be eating doing eating onions like an apple yeah yeah I've seen that yeah it's big, it took a bit of a dark turn the old stage hypnotism at one point didn't it yeah, you got people performing sex acts on each other and stuff like that. What? I never heard that. Yeah, so well, it was not on, not on mainstream telly, but on stage <laughs> shows. Yeah, yeah there's reporters in the press that they're like, you know, it's, is this Darren Brown? No, <laughs> it's like fucking psychic Sam in the back of a pub, isn't it? Uh, you know, those kind of shows. Everyone's a bit boozy and just like doing shit for shits and giggles, right? They still would have had to hypnotise them, wouldn't they? Well, that's it, but once they're under, then it's power of suggestion, isn't it? Mm. Getting him to suck. Getting him to suck a dick, who knows? Whoever's toe or something. Over two weeks later, on November 17th, Sprinkle took another crack at it, utilising alternative hypnotic methods, and this time he was not thwarted. While many modern investigators take an understandably dim view regarding the validity of hypnotic regression, it's important to note that unlike many similar cases, Higdon had a conscious memory of his alien encounter before he was put under. And that is a, a reasonable point, might lend a little credibility to the account. Because he remembers meeting the alien and then that he's got the memory blank. Yeah. So that's something. and. Unless it was someone in fucking fancy dress that gave him drugs. Yeah, well he fell asleep in his truck and he dreamed it all. Where did he get the truck there? Um, it was a high school prank. <laughs> tornado. A tornado, just picked it up and popped it down there. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. With no broken tree branches and yeah, just devastated Dorothy, woodland. He, he just, Dorothy'd it. He just yeah. Dorothy'd it straight down. That's it. Right, okay. <laughs> he landed on a witch. Mm. <laughs> That's why he's got those curly shoes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I went to a, an alien planet and you were there and you and, me, <laughs> yeah. and those teenagers over there. <laughs> Under hypnosis, Higdon was able to record his trip to Ozo One's homeworld in minute detail. He revealed to all those observing the session that the straw-headed alien and its kin were searching for food and used the earth as sort of a game preserve where well, they came to hunt and fish, not unlike a more friendly version of predators. Okay. They're making the fish, though. Yeah. According to Higdon, breeding was also the reasons why human beings were being brought to the alien world. He was under the impression the aliens had harvested these primarily young humans in order to use them in some kind of propagation program that he did not suit their purpose. Probably because, as I said, he'd had a vasectomy. To quote him, maybe this is what they meant when they said I wasn't any good. I kind of sensed they wanted young people. At the end of their hypnotic session, Sprinkle eased Higdon from his trance 
with the instructions that he would retain his memories of Ozo 1 and their expedition, but would no longer fear said recollections. Later, Sprinkle would write in his official report on the case, Although the sighting of a single UFO witness is difficult to evaluate, the indirect evidence supports a tentative conclusion that Carl Higdon is reporting sincerely the events which he experienced. Hopefully further statements of other persons can be obtained to support the basic statement. What other persons? If there's any other eyewitnesses to, let's say for example that those lights in the sky and the kids <laughs> well, if, they, if they come forward if they come forward if they, if they drop them off you'd be looking at like any radar yeah. anything from that night witnesses to strange occurrings high strangeness there was in the that area. couple that saw something weird in the sky yeah so that you'd be looking at that kind of evidence to corroborate something happening in that area mm. people around it seeing shit or even if you're very lucky, the Air Force will admit they caught something on radar. Like the Washington UFO flap. Yeah. Higdon, though, was still a nervous wreck about the entire affair and claimed that for weeks following the trip, he was followed by a colossal green light in the sky. Some ufologists speculated that it might have been the extraterrestrials keeping a watch on their quarry, much like modern scientists tracking a tagged bear. <laughs> Four years later, in September of 1978, Higdon was subjected to what was then one of the most advanced polygraph tests available, the PSE, which is the Psychological Stress Evaluator Device. The test was presided over by a technical consultant for the LAPD, Dr. Greenberg, and his colleague, Dr. Sidney Walter. The scientists ascertained that the former hunter was giving a truthful account of what happened, and Greenberg concluded... I am forced to admit that something utterly fantastic did happen in this man's life. The test proves it beyond doubt. Mm. And if that's the fucking thing they've got him strapped up to, he's like in a surgical chair with a thing over his chest and... It was like an x-ray machine? Yeah. Well, it's definitely going to catch you out if you're lying. Look at it, fucking hell. Mm. It's going to brain your skin a lot as well, isn't it? It's a tanned man. I don't think that's just a random picture. I think you might, be, you might be right there, because there's no way that's the dude. I just want to say here that lie detectors are not evidence. No. no. Can we all agree on that? Yep. Listener, I'm sorry, no matter what you believe. They can be cheated. They can be cheated. They are not evidence. They are not. We look got to look at things if they stand up in court. And they don't. And lie detectors do not. Mm-hmm. Come at me, bro, if you feel something different. The evidence in this strange case is circumstantial at best, and there are no corroborating eyewitnesses who saw anything more significant than a few random lights in the sky, and even the celebrated bullet only shows it hit something hard. Although, harder than a rock or a tree, I'm guessing, to admit. The bullet's the one bit, and the, and the truck are the two best bits of evidence. Aren't they? Yeah. Because he was looking right at the elk, you know, whatever stopped it. Yeah. Between them. That's it. He's he's aiming through a scope at the elf. He's in... The elf? Elf, yeah. I'd I'd love to hunt fucking (laughs) no Santa elves. (laughs) (laughs) 
not like elves and Lord of the Rings, but definitely because like, they, yeah, they, they kick they, your ass. Yeah, because <laughs> they can't fight back. Yeah. They're they're little tigers for elves. Because they're that fucking, Santa. they're that fucking overpowered. They can swing off their fucking saddle on a horse and dodge fucking anything. It doesn't matter. Wouldn't it? It doesn't matter who the show was. <laughs> God, fucking terrible show. I've said it. Fair enough. It's your opinion, isn't it? It's all right. Oh. Better than the Hobbit. Yeah, but my first shit in the day is better than the Hobbit. The book was brilliant. Shame films were shit. Yeah. I didn't enjoy the films that much. I've never watched them again. I've never watched them. It's not my. Uh, I prefer House of the Dragon, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, that is good. Nevertheless, there are a few elements above and beyond Hayden's fascinating sketches regarding this case that have a way of nagging on even the most sceptical of minds. The first thing that comes to mind is how the permanent scars on the inside of Higdon's lungs simply vanished their trace. I bet that, yeah. Yeah, well we did. That was them good healthy food pills. Yeah, investigators claim to have seen before and after x-rays that seem to confirm this seemingly miraculous healing process which left doctors baffled, especially Dr Tango, <laughs> Tongo, sorry. If this curative process was not instigated by the alien visitor, then what might have been responsible for the cure? And the second, though hard to verify factor that lends the credibility of the hunter's account, is the state in which his company truck was discovered by his rescuers. If reports are to be believed, then there is simply no way Higdon could have moved the vehicle to the place where it was discovered with the aid of a military helicopter. As to why his otherwise polite host would leave him in such a muddy lurch is a matter of debate. Probably because he's like, ah, fucking Jaffa. He's useless. He's a stone, yeah. yeah. Maybe. There is a possibility that he was met some CIA in the woods and they uh, MK altered him <laughs> and dropped his car off in a wooden clearance, filmed his entire acid trip and then fucked off and left him there. <laughs> Could have been an MK altered experiment. Some CIA in the woods. <laughs> MK Ultra Mike. That could have explained being fucking chopper lights, couldn't it? And yep. that could have just been strapped in and fuck on the bottom of the chopper, lifted up, five clicks over there, Mate, it's drop a, it down. It's a seven. Is makeup's come a long way. Maybe they're just fucking with people doing MK Ultra trials on random people. Maybe that's what every single alien reduction case is: the CIA MK Ultraing somebody mm. just for the lols. No, actually, I'm moving the alien theory. Obviously, we're just throwing that out there as a hypothesis. It's interesting. Mm. What's that space? Or oh, they were staging these things for the disclosure. Maybe, but then why rednecks? <laughs> it's always rednecks. Very slow disclosure. Very slow disclosure. <laughs> it's always rednecks that bloody seal the Sasquatch and things like that. Like they're always unbelievable stories because of that. Yeah, well, I saw this big creature. It was coming oh, down the no, hill. No, a week goes by where he doesn't mention Bigfoot. Uh. <laughs> I do listen back, you know. I log it. <laughs> I mentally log it. <laughs> I will keep mentioning him until we're allowed to do an episode on him. Yeah. Again. One with somebody that actually believes. I do. I do. He's the most likely cryptid. Anyway, back to Higdon. Of course, there's always a possibility that Higdon made up the whole tale after you got the company truck stuck while playing hooky from work. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you assumed you'd better off making a patently outlandish story about alien abduction rather than 
fess up to have made a mistake or traipsing in the forest where you should have been working. Do you know what? I'd forgotten the fact that he'd played hooky that day, essentially. Mm-hmm. So maybe that is even more like, oh, shit, my car's broke down. I've got it in a right fucking stick. Now my boss is going to definitely hear that is I was it here. Oh, just bollocks. the possibility that he got went in the woods, got fucking wasted, drove his truck into this fucking thing <laughs> somehow by a fucking there miracle. There was no trail. He was there. We had a, yeah, there was there a massive snowstorm. snowstorm. I don't know. We only saw it stuck in the ravine. We didn't see the outsides of it. Mm. Were the tracks covered? Was he just off it? Maybe he just went in the woods to do drugs. Maybe he fired it. I don't know. Maybe he met this Australian guy who came with some drugs and maybe he was going to go camping and hunting and. I think he'd have, he'd have mentioned that you know the first guy would give him a tab. Mm. Well, he's taking a pill off him, hasn't he? Don't take that pill, or really. I'm going to push that away. Mm. <laughs> you can take that. Pill. No. No! Gently <laughs> placed on my tongue. <laughs> now pull down your trousers. Uh. <laughs> it gently places the pill on its tongue. <laughs> Before he takes his trousers Then it gets the hose again. <laughs> to begin with, Igden's employee called in sick before he decided to pack it in and go hunting. Also, he was a boss and would certainly have had to concocted a more reasonable falsehood if he had to. Lastly, who in their right mind would subject themselves to the kind of public scrutiny and ridicule that invariably follows a report of this nature? Which is something it's, you always do have to think. I mean, why would you say it yeah. if it was bullshit? Look, Knowing that everyone like us would be like, what? Fuck off! Yeah. Look, it's not, just that. it's not just people like us though, is it? It's like, oh, we've got a fucking top... A top man. A top, a top man <laughs> in the field of uh, lie machines, or what are they called? Of the Polygraphs. Co- Polygraphs. Yeah. Right, we've got him in. These are two guys who work with the LAPD. Oh, and also, by the way, is a fucking top hypnotist. People are spending time and money to investigate this. Mm. They haven't got to just impress the likes of, of you, us lot. He might have just wanted attention. But that's the other thing. He might just want the attention. He might have had a complete psychotic break yeah. in, in a midlife crisis, got off into the woods, took a load of drugs, and this is how he fucking justified it to himself. Mm-hmm. Tried to get away from his wife by pretending he didn't know who she was. <laughs> I don't fucking know his woman. She's not part of my <laughs> life. Uh... God damn it. I mean, he's got four kids. He's got four kids. How much free time does the man get to go in the woods and take some drugs? (laughs) We've all done it. That was clearly like a weekend blowout, wasn't it? (laughs) You know, it's a possibility. And this time it was just a really bad fucking trip. He got something off his mate Gary. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it was. Although, Gary! Giving him some fucking... Can you ever trust a Garrett when you take drugs? Definitely not. Now, you know what, though? As is show tradition, I actually go for his thing here. I'm, I'm, I'm mocking it, but... You still believe. It's a weird one. Let's, let's also say that, you know, it's 1974. You ain't going to start saying this shit about yourself. No oil company's going to employ you. No. Again, should you lose your job. And he's, he's a foreman, 20 years, the same company. 
He could probably walk to another company for more money, his valued skills, blah, blah, blah. No one's going to employ him again after this in 1974. Aye, it's a time. Add to the undeniable fact that Higdon was well-liked and respected by his neighbours, bosses and co-workers, not to mention the effort that would have been involved in creating the performance he would have had to put over his wife and rescue team in the forest, not to mention the nurses, doctors, police and press in the hospital, and it becomes clear that this working-class Wyoming man was either one of the greatest actors of the 20th century or very likely a victim of a very bizarre episode. Mm. It's got to be... It, it is a bizarre episode either way, whether it's drugs or believe, it's aliens. I believe something happened to him, but I do think it might be more drug fueled than indicated. I think Sam the Sundown clone there's holes in that story by them they're kids what if they were like more thoroughly drugged by these pills that Sam had given them took them into his little shack and is they this... went off they extracted whatever they need to extract and then brought them back and they had no recollection of that yeah they just didn't manage to keep any of the memory yeah. that he managed yeah they you know because they ran first he didn't I don't know I think there's some real similarities <laughs> No, I agree with you. I I agree with you on that definitely, and maybe they changed their looks. Well, they, for, they mean, depending they, on who they were trying to attract. Yeah, because that one looked slightly more humanoid, but still some weird little similarities. The antenna, the weird head, the arm. I mean, Sam had a stick for a hand, mm. literally a three pronged stick. You know, mm. it's interesting. Just saying. If I had a beard, I would stroke I'll it I'll stroke my beard for you, Pete. <laughs> that sounded really weird. It did, didn't it? But I I'm will stroke to... my beard for you, Pete. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I think it's curious, I really do. The old man has maintained the veracity of his story throughout his life. He's the first to admit that his trip is a difficult pill to swallow. Hey. Hey. Even for him. I'd like to think it was just a nightmare, he said, except I know it was real. I've tried to shake my mind clear of all thoughts pertaining to what took place, but frankly, that's totally at the question at this point. Just months after his reduction, Higdon went on to say this about the incident of Medicine Bow Forest. Though I uh, remain apprehensive over the events of last October, I firmly believe the American public is brave enough to accept the truth about such matters. Of course, I wish the whole episode hadn't occurred, but since it did, I don't see any reason to keep it secret. Some folks may think I've gone off my rocker, but to anyone who knows me can tell you, I'm not making up any of this. People seem to accept it now. I'm being truthful as I can be. This all really happened. I believe him now. (laughs) (laughs) Regardless of whether this was a genuine celestial encounter, an elaborate ruse, or the frightful dream of a man who'd taken a nasty spill and was suffering from concussion, or someone who'd met an Australian in the woods and taken a random pill. One overwhelming fact remains. If Carl Higdon had to do it all over again, he would not have stopped and helped these strangers fix their van. Instead, he would have continued on to McCarthy Canyon, where he would have never, ever met a friendly, joyous, drill-handed alien named Ozzo One. (laughs) <laughs> there we go. That last line is just <laughs> hilariously bad. It's weird as fuck, isn't it? 
I definitely think there's parallels between that and Sam. Hmm. Really do. Well, I'm on the fence. Oh, of course you're on the fence. <laughs> nah, you're not. Never. I'll be a scientist, I have to Claire, be. Claire, fetch the crowbar. Let's get him off the fence. <laughs> no, I'm off the fence. I am definitely. I'm on the, you know, this this ain't happening. It's just as silly as the as the Sandown claim one. Wow. Mm. Claire's not a believer. Pete? Too many flaws in it for me. <laughs> All basing down to his spunk and things like yeah. that. There's too many You're just sort of hung up over the semen examination. Nah, I just think, like I said, if they're so far advanced, they wouldn't have spent so much effort to just go, oh shit, he's got his bollocks chopped. But it might not have been that, it might have just been old sperm, because they wanted young people, didn't they? Surely, again, maybe their was advancements, they'd have gone, oh, this guy's clearly 50 years old, <laughs> he's a little bit past it compared to that young spring buck that we found the other week okay we'll leave this one it, it just little flaws in that I'm afraid mm. if they were that hyper intelligent to be getting here doing what they're doing I call bullshit what about the miraculous improvement in his physical health I'd explain maybe that maybe a, cu- a couple of nice nights out in the cold or you know, <laughs> yeah, scarring on his lungs yeah, sort him right out been, yeah, but when was the last time that like scarring was actually seen and noted as a kid? Yeah, yeah. he'd had examinations after the TB, where we uh, x-rays, sorry, after, mm. uh, after the TB. Yeah, he so... That scarring's on the lungs, and then he'd had x-rays after that said, that scarring's not there anymore. Scars can heal. They can, but so they always said to leave some... He, he's, he's probably in his mid-40s towards his 50s, around that kind of age, yeah? So... As a kid, you're talking well, 30... Well, you're talking fo- as a kid, you're talking as a dog. No, he had tuberculosis as a kid, which yeah, gave him scarring on his lungs. I'll guarantee so, that I smoked. at 30 years plus, that scarring could have well cleared Maybe. up. If Maybe. he was a non-smoker, which mm. was unusual in them days... Yes, that's true. Which they wouldn't, expect, like, they, they wouldn't expect it to heal, because every evidence they've ever had, it doesn't heal, look at him. But he's a non-smoker, potentially. They do say that... Every seven years, you're a different person. Yeah, I was dating for about seven and a half years ago. <laughs> Davina, you mean? <laughs> Shh. I was After Davina. seven years, every cell in your body is... Renews, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like your skin cells, it's yeah. the same. So, yeah, all right, if he's never smoked, and he had it as a kid... There is a good chance. Maybe. And I, maybe. I, I don't know, I'm not no, a doctor, no, so no, I don't know. quite a certain. good chance of that. I, I, they seemed astonished by it. The doctors. Yeah, but Doctor Dr. Tango. Fifty Dr. years Tango. ago, doctors would have been astonished by that because mm. fucking X-rays were that brilliant in the. In I think the you got to look at it. It's, um, if it's the seventies, not many people are getting TB in the seventies. If he had it in the fifties, and a doctor in the fifties would be more familiar with that disease than someone in the seventies who's never really had to deal with it or the after effects. Yeah. So no, I, mean, I do think that... Tend to focus on diseases you see every day, don't you? Yeah. There is, there is explanations for that, no problem whatsoever. Just the fact that... What about the bullet? The bullet's an odd one. It hit a fucking it, it rock. Now, but it's mushroom, though. That's, that was hammered. Could have yeah, ricochet. Could have ricochet. But it, but it wasn't the tip of the bullet. It wasn't the fucking bullet, was it? No, they never found the lead part. No. It was the case. So... 
that was unusual in itself. So there was obviously a misfire in mm. the chamber of his rifle, which is why it didn't act like it should have acted. And instead of ejecting the case out of the side like it would normally, the the case somehow got ejected through the barrel. And because it got ejected it through fit, the barrel, it? because it yeah, wouldn't fit, it got, it mangled. got mangled up on yeah. the way through. Could that's be, that's yeah. the explanation. There is a that. tremendous amount of pressure it's behind. Fucking tremendous. One mate. of those. Especially a big round like that, a big rifle. Yeah, Claire, you, you fired yeah, rifles. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, you fired that. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. But then I, a ballistics I, expert has said that it's weird. If it had missed it, it would have mangled I, up the barrel as do well. Do you know that guy? That's, that's the, no. the, the other thing is, as well, as faith, you know we? he's an expert. No, we're going on yeah. faith, aren't we? Exactly. The other thing we have to look at as well is that no one fired... Did anyone fire that rifle again? Using the ammunition he took with him that day. But also, That's the other thing. you can't just take the word off one expert in... I mean, it could have been... Oh, a, you're right, yeah. It you could know. have been a really dodgy round. He could have just been thick as fuck. He might have just wigged his way into uh, his job all of his well, he's life. he's apparently a ballistics expert for the police department of the area. So you have to imagine he's got some qualification. And if he says, this do you know what, this American, is a weird one... This is the American police we're talking uh, yeah, about. Yeah, but he's still at a college and do forensics and ballistics. This is American college we're talking about. Okay, come on. No, this is no, like, no, come on. This is like equivalent reception for us. I'm joking. <laughs> I am joking. But it is one person's opinion on that, isn't it? Well, yeah. there is always the possibility he's not a very good ballistic expert. Precisely. He could have been fucking are, awful at his there job. There are various degrees of competence in any job, aren't there? Yeah. Just because someone has a doctorate doesn't mean they're a very good doctor. All right, what about the truck then? The truck's an odd one, but... He, he, was, he was fucked off his head. But did he just... He fucked up, he drunk drove or drug drove, and he didn't want to admit it. He fell down a fucking ditch... He woke up a few hours later a bit, oh, oh, say I got dropped off and fell nine foot down a ditch. No, it was he from that? He was high. He was high up. Nine he? feet he fell from. No, he he was dropped on the edge of a ravine like that. Yeah. yeah. He was dropped nine there foot, like Nine that. foot drop. Yeah. So that was a nine foot drop. So he was dropped there and as he landed, he lost his footing and he slipped down. That's what it said had happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... He didn't drop nine foot. He just slipped nine foot down a footing, mm. as he says. Who knows whether that actually happened or whether he was just a drunken idiot. Mm. He fucking crashed his car in a, the worst, most random fucking place because we've all seen videos on YouTube where people have got their cars into really fucking weird places. You think, how the fuck... Have they parked the car in that tree? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, We've yeah. all seen those kind of... It we have seen those. He's, he's gone back to cover up his cover up. It could have happened two or three days prior to this. Yeah, no, no, this day off work that he's he's all of a sudden... Oh, I had to take a day off because my mate was sick. I was going to be the only person. I call bullshit on that, maybe. <laughs> he pre-planned. He'd already had... He, this had happened two or three days ago. He hadn't told his missus that he'd fucking left the car in the middle of the woods because he'd fucking had a silly drunken crash. It's his company car. He hasn't come home, remember. They're finding him in the car. That's fine. But he drove to work. He drove to go and hunt elk. Maybe a couple of days prior to this. This is his cover story for it. He's gone out there in the workshop, got pissed up, crashed it and gone, shit, how can I cover this? 
oh, I'm going to have to ring in sick tomorrow. I'm going to have well, to sort this out. I'm going to have to do something. What you got to look at is you've had those two dudes. They're like, oh, yeah, go this way. It's better. Has anyone spoken to those two dudes no, and corroborated this story? You know, he's met these two dudes. He's fixed that car. They said, oh, go this way. Maybe he's taken a wrong turn. Managed to somehow to get that fucking... Maybe there's a firm soil underneath him. Up the side of this fucking ravine, which has then plummeted down. He's jumped a bit. He's like, fell, he's been flung clear through the side window, crashed against the side, knocked out for a couple knocked of hours. out for a few hours. Had this mental fucking trip, but that still doesn't explain the bullet casing. He was driving fast, playing silly buggers, shooting out of his car, going. <laughs> you can't fire one of them. You can't fire a rifle that, that, that size. With that size of round in one and arm. And this is why it went so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this, look, I think we can... I mean, obviously, I'm down, down for the alien. Because <laughs> if I wasn't, I wouldn't be me. It's a damn good possibility. It's a damn good story. It's a damn good story. But you can't, you could can't disagree, yeah. right? It was made in a comic book. It was, yeah. <laughs> you can't disagree that... The alien abduction scenario in this story is just as likely as any of the other things you took the piss about. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. Can you? It's a strange one, and it's high strangeness, and something definitely yeah. happened to him out there. What it is, we'll never know. No. I just... We can say that. I think it's up there with the Kelly Hopkins of an encounter. Ah. For terms of being believable. Drunken hillbillies, shooting owls. Bloody nipply in here today, I tell you mm. what. I could hang, I could hang coats on these beauties. Yeah. You're a bit cold, are you, Pete? I, I am. I'm genuinely a bit chilly. I say like that. Oh, bloody hell. It's becoming winter. Yeah, winter's coming. Oh, God. Oh, oh no. Got to find White Walkers. On um, that bombshell. On that bombshell, I've been Ben. Thanks very much for listening. Don't join the favourite. And don't join the cult. I've been Mike. Thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. And I've been Claire. Keep an open mind, but not so open that it spills out your ears. And I've been Pete. Aim low, but shoot high.